Welcome to Back to Health, your source for the latest in health, wellness, and medical care, keeping you informed so you can make informed healthcare choices for yourself and your whole family. Back to Health features conversations about trending health topics and medical breakthroughs from our team of world-renowned physicians at Weill Cornell Medicine. I'm Melanie Cole, and welcome to part two of our two-part series on Crohn's and colitis awareness. Joining me in this panel is Dr. Dana Lucan. He's the Clinical Director of Translational Research for the Jill Roberts Center for Inflammatory Bowel Disease at Weill Cornell Medical Center. And Dr. Randy Longman, he's the Director of the Jill Roberts Center for Inflammatory Bowel Disease also at Weill Cornell Medical Center. Dr. Lucan, as we head into part two, I couldn't agree with you more about Dr. Longman's excellent assessment of a very complicated topic and what an exciting time it is to be in your field. People have flare-ups. As we've talked about some of these treatments and symptom management, patients tend to know their bodies. If they've had Crohn's for a long time, they know their triggers and their flare-ups, and sometimes they self-medicate. They take prednisone before they toddle off to the hospital. What do you want to tell them about doing that? And while you're saying that, does it ever become unmanageable to the point where something like a colostomy is considered? And if it gets to that point, some people have felt this as a cure, and then they don't have that inflammatory bowel disease anymore. Speak about flare-ups, self-medicating, and when it actually becomes a surgical discussion. Thank you for several facets to this question. I think a little bit challenging to answer. I'm going to do my best to do this as thoroughly and concisely as I can. Certainly, inflammatory bowel diseases are chronic, and they're generally characterized as waxing and waning. That's more describing sort of the natural history or the untreated history is that it tends to ebb and flow over time. Now, the goal of targeted disease-modifying therapy is to minimize those ebbs and flows and keep patients maintained in remission, okay? And we talked about the treatment targets, so we obviously want clinical remission, which is the absence of signs or symptoms of disease, but then we want to go uh, a couple of notches further in this treat-to-target approach. So rung number two, besides clinical remission, is actually steroid-free or corticosteroid-free remission. Okay, so that's all of those things without relying upon steroids like prednisone, as you mentioned. And so as we move deeper into looking for endoscopic healing, number one, the goal is to prevent disease activity flares or exacerbations that are going to happen without maintenance therapy. In general, our hope is that treating the disease more effectively will minimize those. Now, uh, a lot of the societies, including the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation and the American Gastroenterological Association, have really made it a priority that we emphasize the use of steroid sparing therapies. So the therapies, these biologic medications and immune modulators that Randy has just discussed in detail really are meant to spare the use of chronic steroids. I say this every day that my patients know their bodies the best. They have been dealing with this oftentimes for many years and obviously know much more about the disease process uh, as it impacts their bodies than the doctors that are treating the disease. But I think that it's very important to try and not self-medicate, especially with steroids, 
because we know that there are a lot of adverse effects associated with chronic steroid use, and those are wide-ranging, including effects on the bones and on blood sugar and on vision and skin and fractures. And so it's really important that, that patients don't self-medicate. I certainly have my fair share of patients who really do understand that they have these intermittent obstructive episodes and will use steroids on their own for a few days and feel that it gets better. But I definitely encourage these patients to really have an open dialogue with their care team because that may be the sign that there's something else that does need to be treated more proactively, which brings us to the point of surgery. Now, surgery in some circles might be thought of as a failure to respond to medical therapy. And I think that this is definitely not the best way of thinking about it. There are many scenarios in which uh, surgery is both medically indicated and may be the best course of action. These therapies that we've talked about, which are fantastic and effective in many patients, are only effective against active inflammation. In the event of Crohn's disease that has progressed over many years or maybe hasn't been treated or recognized at an early enough time point, if there is scarring of the bowel, then often the therapies that we're discussing aren't going to reverse those symptoms, maybe nausea, abdominal distension, severe abdominal pain, etc. And a surgical approach will be the best to remove the damaged bowel and then preserve the normal bowel afterwards, and then you can reevaluate. So the word cure is a very tricky tricky terminology when it comes to inflammatory bowel disease, which we believe, unfortunately, we don't have a cure at this point. I liken it to a light in your house with a dimmer. We hope to get the lights so that you don't see any light, but with a dimmer switch, there's a click that you need to turn the disease off, and so the power is always on. And so there's a very high likelihood that the disease will return if we do stop the medication or even if you have surgery. Now, you mentioned the term colostomy. Not all surgery is a colostomy. And so for ulcerative colitis, more commonly, if it came to surgery, we would be talking about type of surgery that would remove the colon and often would then leave the ability to create a pouch, an ileal pouch, which can replace the colon for bowel function thereafter. Now, this is in some ways talked about as a cure, but again, the inflammatory bowel disease, the genetics and all those triggers that may have led to it may still be there. And so we have to follow our patients very carefully after that. For Crohn's disease, even if the surgery is effective in removing the active disease, we're very cautious to say that this is not a cure. And in fact, we often will use therapy after surgery because the likelihood of a relapse after that is much more common. Unfortunately, there's no magic bullet. It does emphasize that a multidisciplinary care team, gastroenterologist, colorectal surgeon, dietitian, nutritionist, and often other specialists are very important for this care. So that was an answer to many uh, sub-questions in there. So hopefully that is helpful. Well, it certainly was. So now, Dr. Longman, as we don't have a lot of time left, but this is such an important part of this discussion, and if we ignored this part, we would be remiss. Tell us about diet and this evolving role that you are both seeing in the treatment of inflammatory bowel diseases as far as foods that can help or hurt or how you work with your patients on diet plans so that some of those triggers, some of those little things that could really irritate the system are really looked out for. I think that's a wonderful point. And any person who suffers from inflammatory bowel disease knows that diet contributes 
to symptomatology. Now, it, it is important to recognize that diet itself does not cause the inflammation is pre-existing. However, there are modifications to the diet that can be helpful both during the inflammatory phase of the disease and then also during the quiescent phase. And as we do at the Jill Roberts Center, every patient meets with our IBD-specific nutritionist because we feel that it's that important to make sure that we have a dietary intake, to make sure that we understand the dietary habits, and to make sure that those are optimized. And for each person, it may be some particulars with respect to fermentation or with respect to fiber dosing. And we frequently individualize these plans depending on the type of inflammatory bowel disease and the type of symptoms, but it clearly plays a central role. I was just going to add, patients are frequently ask whether there are diets as therapy for, for inflammatory bowel disease, and I think it's a great topic and probably deserves its own podcast, but there, unfortunately, there's no one IBD diet, and it has to, as Randy said, be individualized, and I think that a lot of it also depends on what is the phenotype or the type of inflammatory bowel disease that a patient has. For example, a patient who has a lot of colon inflammation may find that a high fiber diet and roughage is going to be very irritating, whereas a patient who has scarring from fibrostenotic Crohn's disease or a stricture might not be able to tolerate foods that have a lot of residue and might get stuck there. So I think that you have to listen to your own body and very important to work with a dietitian. People will often research a lot of diets that are on the internet, and a lot of them have a lot of what looks like valid rationale for their use and look great, but unfortunately, there have been very few dietary studies that have been done rigorously to show that there's a benefit and, in fact, also not harm from doing some of these diets, which can be very restrictive. So I would say definitely if you are a patient and looking into diet as a possible complement to medical therapy, then I think you should definitely talk to your physician as well as if a dietitian is available to really personalize and understand why this might be right or might not be the right decision for you. It's excellent, Dr. Lukin, and I would be remiss not to mention that the Jill Roberts Center is really playing a very active role in clinical research to try to understand this exact question. Dr. Lukin and myself are running studies to try to understand how diet can impact the underlying disease. Dr. Lukin is leading a study to understand how intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating will impact Crohn's disease. We're also studying how dietary supplements and fiber prebiotics can have an impact on fecal transplant for ulcerative colitis. So the Jill Roberts Center at Cornell is really making a push to try to help understand how nutrition in diet can impact inflammatory bowel disease. Absolutely great points, both of you. And I know that a lot of these patients look online, as you say, for various diets and alternative therapies. And we really could go on for a long time. It's a great topic. But I'd like to give you each a chance to give a last wrap-up summary. So Dr. Longman, I'd like to start with you. In this time of COVID, should patients with Crohn's or colitis be concerned as they may be on immunosuppressive medication? What would you like them to know about what you're doing at the Jill Roberts Center to keep them safe should they have to come in for their visits? I think it's on everyone's mind 
these days with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's a big concern, and it's totally understandable why anybody taking immunosuppressive therapy would be concerned in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our own group, led by myself and Dr. Lukin, looked at the impact that COVID-19 had in patients with inflammatory bowel disease. And one of the things that we found was that the best thing to do is to make sure that we keep your disease in check. Make sure that you maintain your medicines, even if they are immunosuppressive medicines, because that's really going to keep you the safest. If your disease flares because you stop taking your medicines, or if you need prednisone, those can be risk factors associated with coronavirus infection. And so I think the most important thing is to speak with your doctor. Particularly at the Jill Roberts Center, we've expanded our video visit capability. And so the access is easy. Sign up online, get a video visit with your provider, discuss these concerns. But in general, we find it very important to encourage patients to continue taking their medicines as that will really help them keep safe. Dr. Lucan, I'd like you to just reiterate this multidisciplinary approach to treating inflammatory bowel diseases, why it's so important, and your best advice, please, for people who have loved ones that are suffering from IBDs and what you would like them to know about what you can do for them at Weill Cornell Medical Center. Inflammatory bowel disease is a multisystemic disease, right? And so extraintestinal manifestations are very common. These can involve most commonly the joints, but also the eyes with inflammatory conditions of the eyes, the skin, and other systems. And so we frequently rely upon our colleagues as well as our experience to understand that first off, listen to the patient and really take a good history and get to know our patients so that we can understand if something is new or changing. And then we're positioned to really refer our patients to our colleagues who are really part of our center, that are adjuncts of our center, and able to make these referrals on a very timely manner and help patients to feel better. We also want to make sure that some of these extraintestinal symptoms may parallel disease activity and they may give us signs that a patient's disease is less well under control than we initially thought. And at the Jill Roberts Center, we have a very close relationship with our colorectal surgeons, our radiologists, as well as dermatologists and ophthalmologists, and we also work closely with our social workers and our nutritionists to make sure that we're getting patients access to all the specialists that they would need. We also have a very close both clinical and research collaboration with rheumatology and the Hospital for Special Surgery, and so really making sure that those relationships are maintained. We have several conferences a month where we are interacting with our colorectal surgery team and our radiologists and our pathologists to make sure that our patients that have complex disease, we are putting our heads together and really thinking about the best course of action, referring to expert surgeons who are going to do the best job and give our patients the best chance to do well. Wow, gentlemen, thank you so much. What an amazing episode that was. So much information packed into this podcast. And it was such informative, usable information for patients and for loved ones that have friends and family that have these IBDs. So thank you so much for joining us today. And while Cornell Medicine continues to see our patients in person, as well as through video visits, and you can be confident of the safety of your appointments at Wild Cornell Medicine. And that concludes part two of our two-part series on Crohn's and colitis awareness. If you missed part one, please check that out as well. 
You don't want to miss a minute of this fascinating, informative interview from Back to Health with Wild Cornell Medicine. We'd like to thank our listeners and invite our audience to download, subscribe, rate, and review Back to Health on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. For more health tips, please visit wildcornell.org and search podcasts. And parents, don't forget to check out our Kids HealthCast. I'm Melanie Cole. Rehabilitation medicine can help patients with a wide array of disorders and diseases, including cancer. If cancer care is of interest, listen to CancerCast, Wild Cornell Medicine's dedicated oncology podcast featuring leaders in the field and patient stories. CancerCast highlights dynamic discussions about the exciting developments in oncology. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures, and while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Weill Cornell Medicine as an institution.